This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. I'm Crudy Joshi, the digital editor at Media Week. Today, I'm at the AAP headquarters in Rhodes in Sydney, and I have with me Tony Gillies, the editor-in-chief of AAP, and Mike Osborne, the editor. Hello, guys. Good morning. Good morning, so you guys are uh, rearing up to for the Rio Olympics. I know your team leaves on Monday. And so what have the preparations been like? What's the buzz been around the office been like? Uh, there's been a lot of excitement amongst the staff, particularly the staff who are heading over to Rio. I think they're all excited. They've had all their injections. They've had all their security and training. They've got their team T-shirts. They've got their laptops and their mobile phones and their ready to get into Rio and start reporting on the news and taking the photos and the video that we'll be supplying to our subscribers. Sure. And um, just before our, uh, we started, I hit the record button, you told me that this is the first Olympics that you're not leading your team of six, uh, 32. Um, you've led about th- uh, three Olympics. So are you, uh, do you feel like you're missing out? Uh, I've led the last three teams to the last three Olympics for AAP and I've been involved in um, the three Olympics before that. I love the Olympic Games. They're very exciting, but I must say it's quite a relief to be able to pass the baton over to our Olympics editor, Holly Knott. Um, She's an exceptional talent and uh, one of the sort of future stars here at AAP, and she will be taking our team to Rio. She took our team to the Glasgow um, Commonwealth Games and was my deputy at London, and uh, I'm confident that she will do a brilliant job, and I'm going to be very happy to sit back and watch the Olympics as a spectator. I think what you'd say about Holly, though, is that um, she's an exceptional uh, news person. She's got fantastic judgment, but she's also detail-focused, and uh, that's certainly something you need as a an Olympics editor. The departure of everyone next week uh, comes at the... It's a culmination of a lot of planning uh, around the Olympic Games. Not to say that we've been on the planning uh, program for some four years, but we started four years ago. And we come in and out of it over that period of time. So it's a slow burn and it needs to be. There is so much detail uh, required. And it's not just because we're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for for nearly all media in in the country. Um, They're highly demanding. They expect a lot from us. And we we wear that responsibility well, I think. And um, we're really looking forward to um, providing that, uh, uh, that, that great depth of content to all of them. So 2004, you became the editor-in-chief of uh, this massive news organisation. 2004, they were the first Olympic Games as well. How do you think your coverage as a news organisation has grown over that period? Well, I think it's more around where the content is going. When I joined in 2004, we were a fantastic organisation. I'd like to think now that we're a better one because there have been more opportunities to tell our stories in different ways. If you look at the way media has unfolded, uh, you know, during the past 12 years, uh, you know, the world has moved so dramatically. I think we're a, I think we're a faster, stronger, more relevant news agency as a result of a lot of work we've done on digital platforms. You know, there's been a lot of innovation in the way we tell our stories, a lot of innovation in the way that we, um, you know, plan and, uh, and, and, and create new products. So uh, I, I think... And I look back on 2004 versus what we are now doing uh, for 2016. You know, there's, there's, there's infinitely more choice for our subscribers. And uh, as a result of that, you know, we have a massive number of customers this time around taking our content 
um, on top of their normal Newswire subscriptions. So we, we create this uh, magnificent bundle of premium content for the Olympics and it's, uh, it, it's, going, uh, it's, it, it's going very well in terms of uh, sales. So in speaking about your new clients, how do you get them? Do you go out and pitch to them or do they come to you? How does that sale process work? It's a combination of both. We, you know, we're very proactive in our approach to our subscribers. Uh, you know, so uh, we're not just pitching to the subscribers that we've known for a long time. It's the, you know, we're, we're always aware of emerging, uh, emerging players in the market. As you know, uh, there are so many new, more new ones these days. We are, you know, forever you know, chasing them down and uh, or engaging with them, I should say, is a better way of putting it, engaging with them and uh, showing them what we can do. And uh, it's really about, uh, uh, you know, being able to prove prove to them, uh, you know, the value in what we do. It's, it's a very cost-effective uh, news service, but it's also, you know, it, it's also relevant. We do a lot of heavy lifting for these guys. It's, it's really good. So I was looking at some of your rundown and what sort of services you'll be providing to the other news organisations and obviously your clients here. One of them included, um, you know, the next day's rundown and how everything works and that they would have it a day before or something. So how, how do you guys operate? Like how do you um, make your plannings and how your teams will operate? And what, how, how long ago does that process start? Uh, that process starts well in advance of, um, of the Olympics. I think as soon as the schedule's available um, and there's a draft schedule available, usually about two, two years out from a game, you get a draft schedule. And we start taking that draft schedule apart almost from that time onwards. Um, and we look at the key events, so when the big superstars, so when Michael Phelps or Usain Bolt will be competing. And then we also look at the events that are going to be key to the Australians. So we would have a look at when Kieran McAvoy is going to be swimming the 100 metres freestyle, for example. So all of those uh, events are targeted um, and and we look at uh, exactly when the Aussies are going to be um, competing and exactly when the superstars are going to be competing. We make sure we have our journalistic um, and photographic resources there um, to cover those events. We make sure that we have the digital content ready to go. And on the ground in Rio, we have one person dedicated to updating that because as competition heats, semi-finals uh, and finals progress, um, the, the people who are competing change. And we have one person dedicated right throughout Rio in just updating that schedule every day, making sure that it's up to date and, and there's no mistakes. We will not miss any key events. There's so many moving parts, Credit. It's, um, it's critical that you really remain focused on the detail. It's 16 days of competition, so you really have to break down every day and then break down every hour of every day and make sure every minute of those hours is accounted for in some way. And as Mike has just said, there's you know, so many moving parts of this. You know, schedules change, performances change, oh, you know, uh, you know, performers change or, or, or their, their fortunes do. There are, big, there are injuries, there are unexpected results. So you have to, as planned as you can be, um, you have to put yourself in a position where you can respond with spontaneity uh, on, on those things that are totally unexpected. If we're not as planned as we are and those spontaneous events occur, well, then it becomes chaotic. So that's why we spend so much time just burrowing through the detail to ensure this is everything it needs to be. And so in order not to miss out on any of the action, I mean, there's so many events going on simultaneously. Do you have one journalist assigned to each sport or a number of journalists assigned to each sport so they're sitting through every single sport no matter how boring it is? 
We have um, the big sports where Australia is going to do well, like uh, swimming and athletics and cycling and rowing. We'll have at least two journalists at each of those events. And the photographers, our, our photographers will roam between the events going where the, the key Australians are going to be performing. For the other sports, if an Australian's competing, we're there. Uh, if there's no Australians competing, we're monitoring it um, off a bank of TVs. We also have our partner agencies covering events for us as well. So we're always keeping an eye out for a big breaking story or a world record um, in, a, in an event where there's no Australians. But if there's an Australian competing in an event, there's an AAP person there somewhere. And without sounding like a cheerleader for the Olympics, I just want to pick you up on the word you said, oh, you know, no matter how boring some of the events are. I would, I would argue that at the Olympics, it's, you know, the news judgment is what would normally apply to, to sport in terms of news judgment is flipped on its ear. I, I think Olympic audiences find themselves for that magical two weeks every four years enamoured by things like archery, by equestrian, by things I would never normally be uh, exposed to, and all of a sudden they just get caught up in the competition. So it's hard to say that there are, you know, um, you know, boring moments. Sure, there are some faster moments than slower moments and all of that sort of thing, but really, you know, the, the Olympics is such that, you know, you've got to get yourself up for the whole thing. And it's, um, it, it really is a spectacle, and we need to do it justice, and, and that's why we, uh, you know, even for those lesser-known sports or those those sports that have less participation in every other week of the year, that we are right across those things. So planning isn't just about, or participating, for us at least anyway, isn't just about those 16 days every four years. It's also about, you know, what we do in the lead-up events to those, um, you know, to, to the Olympics. We're following the fortunes of each of those athletes and things like that. So, so really the preparation and the practical preparation begins so much earlier than you would expect. You, don't, you can't just turn up cold and expect to be an expert in Greco-Roman wrestling. You know, uh, you've got to, you know, you've got to be, um, you know, you, you, you've got to get you, the journalists have to get their um, their minds into that, and they do that from a long way up. Those lesser known sports become so vital when it comes to the medal tally, doesn't it? Like I find myself looking at even the equestrian results when it comes to the, you know, where Australia's sitting, where India's sitting. Um, but having said that, being a newswire, being a news agency, he's going to provide all these packages to the news organisations. You've got the 6pm bulletins, you know, those bulletins keep on rolling when the Olympics are on. So... When it comes to your journalists, how, how key is it that they're across produced and like knowing how to produce you know, stories on multi-platforms and they have those skills? Uh, we take a team of um, journalists and photographers, but we're also taking a team of very experienced and very professional um, producers who will produce uh, running text content, uh, image content, video content, and some fantastic digital products that pull all of that together. We're also monitoring what's happening in social media. So we're looking at what's happening in the Twitter sphere and on Facebook. So we're keeping track of what athletes are doing there, looking for news stories, but also pulling the best of it together into our packages. And the way the team operates in, in Rio or at any Olympics is that there's a production team from usually about 5.30 or 6 in the morning, local time, through till about 2 or 3 in the morning. So we're covering the whole day. There's only about four hours where we're not there 
um, live in uh, on the ground at the Olympics. So there's always someone there pulling it together and making sure that it's ready for our subscribers. And we publish direct. So we're, they're hitting the button in Rio and it's going to be publishing on subscriber websites. There's a high level of responsibility. But to understand, and to Mike's point, to understand how we respond the way we do to those multi-dimensional requirements of all of our customers is to understand the DNA of AAP. We don't have deadlines. Every second, every minute every of every hour of every day is a deadline for us. It's, you know, the, the stories we provide, they're all, you know, they just, they just grow organically during the day. It's a, it's a, it's a constant rolling of updates and, and, and wraps and taking a breath. So we, we don't, Need, you know, we, we don't have 6 p.m. bulletins. We don't have 10 a.m. Mm. bulletins. We don't have, uh, you know, midnight print deadlines and things like that. Every minute of every hour is, uh, you know, is, is, is something new for us. So that's, uh, that, that's the way the news agency works. And that's why it works so well in this, you know, rapid-fire 24-7 environment. That's why AAP, work, you know, survives so well uh, because we, uh, we're not stuck in uh you know in you know stuck by uh the these set moments or parameters that other media organizations are we are just there for the moment when it comes to producing um you know news bulletin stories about around the olympics all the news organizations 710 fairfax news corp you name it they're going to have journalists on the ground as well so how does that work how do you guys discuss who's going to be covering what where your product is going to be turning up and when you guys are going to be covering for each other, basically. No such thing as over-communicating, and that's what we have to do. So um, as it is in every other day of the week, as po- you know, it's the same with the Olympics. There are advisories and there are, you know, and then we keep going on with and, and telling people what we're up to, where we're going. I think the key in this environment where, <clears throat> where we're in a perennially, perennially uh, cost-conscious environment, we need to... Um, you know, be mindful that news uh, news organisations can can ill afford to duplicate effort. So they look to see what AAP is up to, so they can, uh, and in many cases, redeploy their resources accordingly. So if they know AAP has got something covered, then they can go off and do something else. They, and what what we, what we found here with our team, we're sending quite a quite a good sized team, is that some of the larger organisations are now sending fewer people because they know that we've got the basics covered. So they'll send people that can add, uh, you know, their brand of unique colour and, and tone and, and, and so on to the coverage, and that's the role we play. So it's a, it's a foundation of content, really, for the other organisations. But even so, it's more than that for, for the, some of the smaller ones. We're providing the, uh, the coverage in total for some organisations as well. And I think the experience of our team... Um, speaks uh, volumes about, um, uh, you know, how much our subscribers trust us. Uh, a lot of our team uh, reporters, photographers and videographers will be at their second or third Olympics. Um, and if you throw in Commonwealth Games, they're probably at their fourth or fifth Games. Uh, even our, uh, our team that are putting, our technical team that are putting together um, all of our communications uh, are doing work for some of our subscribers uh, as well because they're so experienced. They, they've been on the ground at Olympics and Commonwealth Games and they just know what's needed. So I think a lot of our subscribers look to us um, as a leader in this area, particularly these big events uh, like uh, Olympic and Commonwealth Games. They see us as a, as a leader, not just in uh, the content, but also in the communications behind it. And-
And speaking about video, like if you have a person, for example, at the swimming, you have a vision of, say, Michael Phelps, you know, touching that wall first. How do you make sure that you show different visions on different networks? Because there are 5 p.m. bulletins run on at least two networks and then there are 6 p.m. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have that vision uh, because... Um, the uh, broadcast vision especially is just tightly held. There are, there's, a, there's quite a strict or stringent accreditation process and video is not a part of that. You have to be a, a broadcast partner to get the in-play or in-games uh, vision. We, are, we do have video people there, but they're doing, uh, we're, we're creating video content outside of the actual events. So it will be press conferences, it will be scene stuff from outside the venues and so on. But the venues themselves are locked down by the International uh, Olympic Committee uh, who have sold rights to Vision, especially to, uh, you know, a number of broadcast uh, uh, broadcasters around the world. Yep. And so Olympics, uh, the committee is well known for, you know, holding on to, it's very secure in, uh, you know, who it lends the Vision to, who it gives rights to. So how did you overcome this uh, barrier and um, when it comes to, you know, accreditation and accessing those events? Well, we get the same accreditation rights as as all bona fide media. Uh, we, uh, we are, you know, we have the, the permissions to uh, go in and out of venues to take, uh, you know, to write as many stories as we like, to take as many photos as we like. The only area of contention is video um, at this stage, and uh, that's tightly held by um, you know the broadcast partners worldwide. So that's why, <clears throat> in this country, for example, the Seven Network is the um, Olympic broadcaster, or and that, so they have those rights. Mm. So what do Channel Ten and Channel Nine do? They, um, in you know, they're probably they're, they are protected in some degree to fair, uh, fair, fair dealing provisions. And uh, so they uh, they clip a certain amount of uh, vision from the uh, the host broad or the uh, the broadcast rights holder uh, for use uh, in in news bulletins. Now we can do the same thing because we're a part or an accredited media, so we can use small clips of video, but from the um, uh, from the broadcast uh, rights holders, uh, but only for the purpose of reporting news. And even so, there is a there's a time limit on when you can have for, for the amount of time you can have that up online or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there are still restrictions around the distribution um, and the, um, the, the the display of, of of vision. And so, how does selling of stories work in events like the Olympics? Is it like a package deal that for Olympics you'll have access to as many stories as you would like, or how does that work? AAP is works on a subscription model. And our subscribers are, uh, you know, they take a uh, quite a large, uh, you know, they get quite a large offering from AAP in, in terms of uh, its news coverage day to day. When it comes to special events, Olympics being one of them, we then step up our coverage because, you know, covering the Olympic Games, an event like the Olympics, Olympic Games is quite an expensive thing. It's roughly about $16,000 per head uh, to uh, for those two weeks to go to, go to Rio. Uh, and cover the games. So we try to recover a little bit, and people get that, um, and we provide a premium package of Olympic content. So our normal subscribers who don't subscribe to a premium package still get some Olympic news because the Olympics is still news at the end of the day, but we we take it up many notches for our premium content packages and our, and subscribers then, well, they just um, 
they uh, increase their uh, commitment to us for that period of time because they see value in what we're doing. And it's infinitely more cost effective us doing it than uh, doing that than they them themselves doing uh, going to Rio and, and covering it themselves. It's just impractical. Sure. And Mike, you've been on the ground um, during the Olympics a couple of times. What's, what's the atmosphere like then and what are your working days like there? I think Tony alluded to it earlier. Uh, they're, they're very exhausting. Um, most days start pretty early at, at, you know, sort of six in the morning. And often, you, you know, you'll still be there at uh, 10, 10, 11 o'clock at night before you hand over to the, to the person who finishes off. But I think the most, um, the most memorable thing about the Olympics is, is the, the buzz and the vibe that goes around uh, the community and also the media centre. You know, people are, are alive. It's a, it's, a, it's a small slice of history. Um, you know, moments to be remembered. And I think uh, everyone who's involved in covering it actually thinks they're pretty lucky to be there. You know, yes, it's long hours. Yes, uh, there's two weeks of nonstop work, but it's it's the um, opportunity to be there and to see history being made. And I think everyone really appreciates that. Do you miss it after you come back? Uh, it's always hard to get back into work mode after an Olympic Games. But most of our staff will have a bit of a break after the Olympics. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have a couple of weeks off and, and hopefully come back refreshed um, just in time for uh, footy grand finals. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always hard. But, you know, there's always another Commonwealth Games two years down the track or an Olympics two years down the track with the Winter Games. And, in fact, Tony alluded earlier to our planning. I mean, yes, the Rio Games are about to start in a week or two, but we've already started a lot of planning around... Um, the, the next Winter Olympics in South Korea and the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast in uh, 2018. So you, you just can't stop. It's always uh, looking forward to the next event. So as part of um, heading the Olympics coverage for a news organisation like you did for three, of, um, three, uh, three Olympics in the past for AAP, you're not only looking after the content but also your staff as well. You had a funny story. Oh, <laughs> yes, funny stories. But... Um, yeah, the, you, you're in charge of about, you know, 30 staff and you, you, you've got uh, the pastoral care of them and making sure that they're safe. Uh, and there are times when uh, you do wonder what happens. Um, one of our journalists at the Beijing Olympics, uh, towards the end of the Games, um, fell asleep on the back of a, a media bus heading back to the media village. Didn't get off the bus. The bus driver didn't see him because he was lying down. And about eight hours later, when he woke up, he was in a bus shelter somewhere in Beijing he couldn't speak Chinese. They couldn't speak English. He didn't know where he was. Uh, he couldn't find a, uh, a phone. He eventually managed to call us. We knew he was missing. We weren't panicking yet because we know most of AAP journalists are pretty resourceful. So we were working on the assumption that he was safe somewhere. But he did call in and say, I've got no idea where I am. I can't speak Chinese. They can't speak English. Someone come and get me. And we did end up getting a taxi out to him and, and, and finally uh, picking him up and bringing him in. But, yeah, we were worried for a little while. You feel like a babysitter when you go? <laughs> oh, well, no. Our team is pretty mature. Um, yeah, uh, they're all, as, as I said earlier, a lot of them are very experienced. There's a couple, always you've got to take some newcomers. You've got to take some uh, debutantes to the Olympics so that they can start to get their experience. Um, I think Holly's taken a really, um, a really good mix of experience and, um, and, and you know, new talent. Um, and uh, I... I don't think she feels like a babysitter. I know I, I never did. I think you feel like um, you're in charge of a really professional team and I'm sure they'll do a great job. 
So you, uh, the, taking the experienced journalists who've covered these games before is kind of a no-brainer, but when you're looking at new talents to send, what other key skills do you look for? I think um, particularly in this day and age, we're looking at um, the, the younger talent that um, are good at multimedia, you know, people who can um, take a photo, shoot some video, tweet and write a story all within, you know, the, the 10 minutes of an event happening. Um, we put a lot of effort into training young cadets here at AAP and uh, our team, I think I had a quick look before and our team's got something like six ex-cadets in it. So that's, you know, 25% of the team is made up of um, of cadets or former AAP cadets. So the training's there. So they know that they, we, we know and they know that they can file under any circumstances and in any format. So I think that's the key. When it comes to the experienced people, they're the people with, um, you know, wise heads who have been to games before who won't panic when things go wrong, because inevitably at an Olympic Games or in a Commonwealth Games, things will go wrong. And you need those calm people, those people who've been in, in the situation before and know that what the solutions are. So it's a good mix. And, um, you know, Holly's got some people who have been to, to five or six Olympics with her and um, she'll call on their wisdom from time to time. But that attitude's everything, though, isn't it, Mike? I mean, you know, you don't take uh, a team of people to uh, an event like the Olympic Games unless you're confident that they've that they're equipped to, to handle those circumstances and that they want to be there, they're hungry to be there and all of that sort of thing. And at, at AAP, generally, there's a great team ethos here in the newsroom. That certainly makes its way onto the team. And so there's this real feeling of you don't want to let your teammate down mm-hmm. when you're there. So we don't have necessarily those issues where someone's flaking off or anything. We don't have that. It'll be silly things that, so, so, where someone has just, you know, worked themselves. It's, it's the exact opposite, actually. They work themselves so hard. They become so tired. And then when they, you know, they, they fall asleep and they, they end up in the wrong spot. So it's, it's, it's not through misadventure. It's just through exhaustion. And uh, so that's, that's where the pastoral care that Mike referred to really comes into play. We, we need people to look after each other. We want to look, we, we look after them as well. And, uh, we get that back in return. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that we've got um, a really strong security plan in place for Rio. Yeah. Tony mentioned earlier, you know, the concerns around um, personal crime, personal tax. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, we're very conscious of the fact that we do have to look after our staff. So we've got um, some private security looking after our team over there. And we've got a very good internal process around around that as well. So all of our team are divided up into smaller units and they all have to report in every day. So there's a really strong process around making sure we know where people are at all, at all, you know, all times of the day. And there's been a lot of training, hasn't there, in the lead up too. So the, the, the participants in this team are across what happened. You know, they're given so much training around, well, what do you do in the event of this? So they're given, you know, as, as, as much as you possibly can do at that, at that point. But again, they don't go in there, you know, not knowing. They've, they've always had a heads up, which is which is terrific. And I think uh, a good pointer to um, how keen our staff are is that I think when Holly first organised this team, um, I think she sent out an email uh, a little over 12 months ago asking for volunteers to come to cover the Rio Olympics. I think she got over 100 applications, which we then had to whittle down to the, the final 30. And that team has been solid right through. We've had one one person withdrew because of the Zika virus, you know, personal circumstances, which we completely understand. 
But apart from uh, that one person pulling out and being replaced, that team's been rock solid for 12 months. So they're very keen to go. So how much pressure is there? And like we just talked about it earlier when, you know, the news environment is such that if littlest of things that happens, you know, across the world, it probably travels to Australia within minutes, if not seconds. How much of a pressure is there to deliver that news as first, like, you know, to be first as possible? Well, that's, that's, that's just our DNA. That's what AAP does. As a digital news agency, we uh, pride ourselves on being, you know, fast, accurate, reliable, trustworthy, and speed is speed is one of our, you know, key key components. Um, our journalists have a standard process where they have to file three pars within three minutes of any given event. If it's a massive event, it's one paragraph, and we get it out uh, to our subscribers within. We've, we've done some really good analytics around this, but we know we can get all of our content out, um, those urgent stories out within three minutes to our subscribers as well. So we move pretty fast when we need to. Yeah, and faster on some of the bigger ones. But the, I think the, the key there is uh, not being consumed by being first, uh, being consumed by speed um, and, and being quite careful with that too, by the way, because you can't cut corners in terms of verification, accuracy, balance, fairness and all of that sort of thing. So... My concern has always been, or our concern has always been, that if if you, uh, you know, create a culture of got to be first, then things might go astray because people might then prepare, be prepared to cut a corner or two. We are absolutely consumed by accuracy. We are absolutely consumed by being fast. But you get it, yeah. The 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 note to journalists is get it first, but get it right, but then get it right. You know, so. It's really, it's really that. So we feel it, we, it. Is it pressure? I don't know that it's pressure. It's, it's just what we do. It's an expectation, you know. And and I guess that's why we are trusted. And so when it comes to covering events like the Olympics, you have to, you know, you need those photos that will make front page headlines or evoke some sort of an emotion. You're there. Your photographers are there, trying to capture every the biggest history in the making as possible. But you've also got Getty Images, who's going to have a huge presence there. How do you ensure that, you, you know, your photographers and you have the best product for your subscribers? Do you see any competition at all from Getty Images or news agencies of those kind? Well, there's a lot of news agencies at the Olympics. I mean, Getty's just one. I mean, AP will be there. EPA will be there. Reuters will be there. Uh, a lot of those um, news agencies are our partner agencies. So, you know, we'll get access or our subscribers will get access to a lot of those photos. Um, again, we're looking from the Australian perspective at, at AAP. So we're looking for those Australian photos. And Getty, while being a great photographic news agency, possibly won't have that same laser focus on what the Australians are up to that AAP's team will do. So we'll be sending our photographers out to cover specific Australian events and not just the gold medal chances, but, you know, the Aussie who comes 25th in the marathon, you know, we'll be getting photos of that person. And I, you know, I can't guarantee that all the other agencies will. Uh, the other thing to make, I mean, because we respect all of these agencies, by the way, but when you're playing at a certain level, as we all are, by the way, you know, the, there's a, it's a given that everyone's going to be producing high-quality stuff. So you, you, if you're not producing high-quality, you get found out very quickly and then you, know, you, you, you fold up. So um, be, it, it won't matter what agency is there. There's going to be top-quality people there. So our, you know, our, we, we back ourselves in terms of, uh, you know, the quality we produce, but we back ourselves more wholeheartedly around the 
around the relevance of what we're doing and therefore the value in which we provide to our subscribers. They look to us for a certain thing and it's a holistic approach that we take to, to storytelling. It's not just the image. Of course, the, the image is a big part of it, but it's also the other stuff that sort of sits with it. And uh, and I think that's what we bring to the party is this uh, mm. uh, this very broad approach and it's you know, um, broad approach to storytelling, but it's, it's laser focus in terms of what it means to Australia. We look at everything through an Australian's lens. Yeah, and we have that team ethos where a journalist and a photographer will be working together. So the photographer will know that the story that the journalist is chasing, and if the photographer gets a great photo, well, then the journalist can write the story to that. I'm just going to move away a little bit from the Olympics, but before doing that, I need Mike, I need to ask you one of your highlights from your vast experience of covering the Games. Uh, my all-time highlight has to be the 1988 Seoul Olympics. I was covering the track and field events in Seoul. So um, I was sitting there with one of our, um, another AAP journalist, John Coomber, who was uh, the senior person. And we covered together um, the Ben Johnson winning the 100 metres. And then we went out that night and celebrated. Uh, and then the next morning at 7am, we were both trying to track down Ben Johnson and his coach, Charlie Francis, and the Canadian team because he tested positive overnight. And that was probably the biggest story I'll ever cover in my life. It was a massive, massive story at the time and um, certainly very exciting. Wow. That seems like a, you know, an adrenaline rush. But um, we spoke about the accreditation challenges earlier. Now, coming back to Australia, NRL, AFL, Cricket Australia, they've set up their own big media wings as well. They do a lot of their news and they control a lot of what comes out how do you get over that barrier to ensure that you've got everything that your subscribers and your clients want? Well, I think just to pick you up on another word there, do they control what they what, what comes what comes out? Um, they certainly uh, have a say over you know uh, how they cover their own um, over their own um, or their own sports. But to the credit of the major sporting bodies in Australia, is that they. They treat Australian media with respect. There's a there's a symbiotic relationship that exists between news media and the sporting uh, professional sporting bodies uh, in Australia. We work very well side by side. The accreditation process always comes with challenges, of course, because there are um, at times some conflicting uh, requirements out of access. Um, sporting bodies need to uh, garner some revenue. Uh, from uh, from their games, and they do so by selling rights. Uh, they do it for broad. They do broad, they sell broadcast rights. They sell digital rights. They sell all sorts of things uh, in order to uh, you know get revenue in so they can grow their games. Where media comes into play is well, you know, do they bump into some of those things? You know, well, of course, we we want access to those uh, uh, to those venues so we can report on their games because they are of genuine news interest. Uh, and we want unfettered access, you know, and uh, because we want to tell the story in, in, in whole. Uh, and by and large, that works. And I think we've got a, we've got a very good relationship with the media, uh, with, the, with the sporting bodies um, right now. It works really well. It hasn't always been that way, but uh, there's been a few conflicts along the way. But as I sit here today, hand on heart, you know, our relationship with the AFL, even though they've got 110 journalists in their media arm, is, is stronger than ever. And it's the same for the NRL and, uh, and Cricket Australia. You know, we, we just signed off on accreditations for, uh, to, to cover the upcoming um, season of cricket. 
and uh, it was a tick-the-box type of exercise. There was no, uh, no conflicts there at all. I think what you'll find is that the, uh, the, media, uh, the, uh, the media arms of these sporting bodies have a, a specific requirement. They're not trying to do what we do as, as, uh, as independent media. They are simply covering gaps. They're trying to get to um, and, and provide a, a deeper um, audience experience for their, um, you know, for their organisation. So they'll, they'll, they'll cover events that, uh, that, that general mass media might not cover. Um, and so while on one, on one level you could probably look at it from a distance and see, oh, gee, there's a, there's a conflict coming, but in practical terms... It, it all seems to work pretty well, I think. And I think um, an important aspect of that is that the relationship with those sporting bodies is so good that um, Cricket Australia, AFL and NRL are all subscribers to AAP's content. They, yeah. take, they take our sports service. Tony, in 2008, you took on the responsibility of the organisation's revenue and making sure you know, it was earning enough and you know, the sales were good. How did this change your role as the editor-in-chief of AAP? Well, I mean, it's more a, the, the role I've got is probably more strategic than anything else. And uh, it, it, it's actually, it's worked really well. Um, it's, it's unlike other media organisations where if you take on a, um, you know, some level of commercial responsibility, you've also got to start be, you, you may have to be beholden to certain advertisers and things like that. Here at, at AAP, uh, the the revenue we're getting or is 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 born out of the relationships we have with other media organisations. So I'm dealing with other editors and editors in chief and and news directors and so on. And we're not selling, you know, we're not selling to Holden or to Ford or these sorts of people or Woolworths or whatever. We are we are selling content of great value to people who want great content and need content for their for their brand. So it seems to work really well. Um, what it what it's ensured though is that um, the, uh, the it, it's ensured better product development. I think you know so um, we we haven't got a, a a team that sort of sits separate to editorial, creating pro, um, products or or trying to create products or make promises that they can't deliver. It's a it's an all in holistic effort. You know we all get together. We talk about. Uh, you know what? Uh, you know the, the changes in the market. Where the we try and anticipate where the needs are. We 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 come up with products and services that suit those needs, and then take it another step. And then we sell that as a solution to media companies who are looking to do things in a more cost-effective way to reach audiences like they've never done before. And and so therefore, it's uh, I, I think that 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 whole relationship now that you know editorial versus commercial type of thing that it that hasn't it, it hasn't and never will be an issue here because we're not you know as i said we're we're not um there's no conflict of interest you know we're trying to best produce the best possible content for people that's it that's what we're selling so aap is backed by fairfax media news corp and seven west media so what type of dialogues do you have between them in order to ensure you know they're getting their fruits for what they've invested. <laughs> oh, they're shareholders, and they're really good shareholders too. By the way, um, they they do keep a distance in terms of um, you know from an operational sense. Um, they recognise the, uh, and I, I say this hand on heart, the shareholders recognise the value of having a, a very strong, independent, robust news agency. They understand that you know we need to provide content 
um, to to all us, you know, to to all media, to all comers, some of which will be their competitors. But we need, you know, but they they want an agency that is thriving. You know, they are also our customers. You know, we derive revenue from them as well. And when things go really well, and you know, we sell an asset or we do whatever, you know, we're able to return dividends to to the shareholders. So that's the nature of the relationship. The other thing I would say about the shareholders is that they, uh, you know, as they do have a, uh, you know, quite a significant interest in Australian media overall. I mean, you know, from from a publishing perspective, at least anyway, you've got all the metropolitan newspapers covered by our shareholders. So you tend to want to listen to, um, you know, and seek out their guidance on where they're seeing media going. And we have really good a really good relationship with each of them. It's a different one with each, by the way. But, you know, we, we talk to them at length. We try to understand their challenges. We uh, try and anticipate where they want to go next. And we seek out and we seek to make a, a, create a solution for them. And they love us for that, you know, because we can be nimble and uh, we can test things with them. We've got a pretty good, um, you know, we've got a really good track record on that on that basis. And so it's it's really like a partnership from an editorial perspective, at least anyway, uh, with, the, with, the, with these, um, these organisations. I think that um, Tony works really well at the executive level and I think that um, myself and AAP's deputy editor, Joe Williamson, we have a really good relationship with the working news editors at those, at those shareholder organisations. We're in constant contact almost, um, certainly almost daily, but definitely weekly with those guys. Right. So talking about the internal structure... You've got the editor-in-chief, which is you. Then you've also got the editor, which is Mike Osborne. Then we've got uh, Philip McLean, who's the executive editor. And then we've got Amrita Sidhu, who's the group sales director. How do you guys all work in rhythm? And um, that title, executive editor, confuses me. So what's that about? <laughs> uh, well, it shouldn't confuse. I mean, there's, in, any, in any news organisation, there are a number of functions that, that must exist that aren't necessarily tied to the news of the day. Phil McLean is, uh, you know, he's an exceptional news person, by the way. Um, he's, a, he's a great lateral thinker, um, so he brings a lot to the organisation. But Phil also is, a, you know, he's a really good details guy. Um, he uh, helps us bring the, um, uh, the you know, and works very closely with me to ensure that the economic shape of the newsroom is everything it needs to be. So we're always looking for uh, more efficient ways of doing things. Um, it's not necessarily about cost-cutting, you know, for the sake of it. If there are, if technology can step in to ensure that we can do things more effectively, then that's what we do. Um, and and uh, so there's a lot of administrative stuff that is required. There's a lot of innovation that is required that sits outside the uh, the normal remit of Mike. Um, and Joe, for example, uh, is what they do in the newsroom, which is more day, more of the day-to-day uh, news coverage. And so there's there's a lot of action that goes on behind the scenes. And and Phil and I work very closely on that on that part. And of course, Mike does as well. But um, and and then uh, Amrita, who is the group sales director, has responsibility uh, for sales not just in uh, Newswire but also across AAP's other businesses, including uh, you know, MediaNet, which is uh, uh, moves uh, press releases and um, uh, and has a media contacts database, etc. Uh, we also have Page Masters, which is a, um, a, a newspaper production outsourcing business, which is highly successful. Uh, and so uh, Amrita has some sales activity in there, but we have a very strong structure around each of those businesses. 
So being in the executive kind of a position, how often do you guys get back to, you know, the journalism tools and do you miss it? Uh, I think I get back to the journalism tools probably about once a week. I'm on the desk helping out one way or another. And, of course, when massive stories break, um, those terrorist attacks overseas, things like that, then, um, you know, it's uh, roll up the sleeves and get in. But, um, you know, it's it's important, I think, for the editor to be seen on the news floor and to, to be involved in the news floor. And we've got a new editorial system coming in, and I think that's going to change the way that we operate. Um, and it'll be exciting to be involved in, uh, in, in that transition and to get involved in the news coverage. And, uh, yeah, look, uh, I take a more strategic role. I, I do miss it, you know, um, but there's, uh, there's such a thing as having too many cooks spoiling a broth. So, um, you've, you know, as, a, as an editor-in-chief, I've got to give Mike his, his space. And, uh, you know, the newsroom, uh, you know, uh, at that level, on a day-to-day level, really is, is his domain. Um, yeah, we, we, we talk about coverage and, you know, you never lose interest in news, don't get me wrong. But, uh, um, but you know, you don't want to have a confused message going out to staff. So we, um, you know, we, we, we consult quite closely. You know, Mike knows everything I'm doing. I know everything Mike's doing and so on. We do work very, very closely together. You just mentioned a new editorial structure. Can you run me through that? Uh, well, it's a new editorial structure to fit with our new editorial system. So we've got a new... Uh, content management system called Superdesk coming in. In fact, we're right in the middle of the rollout now. Um, our finance desk and some of our um, interstate bureaus like Canberra and Melbourne are already working on the new system. Our main production team and our sports guys and certainly our Olympic guys are still in our old system. Um, and of course, with a new content management system, it gives you the opportunity to, I think, put fresh eyes on what we do and, and how we do it. And it'll bring technology technological developments and we'll be able to do things better and more efficiently so we've had a bit of a look at our structure internally and we're we're making some changes to fit with uh with with the new editorial system i think the one thing to say about the editorial system and and this hasn't been the case in the past is that when we were developing this thing and it's been uh, this system has been in development now for just close on two years and it's now being rolled out but right from day one it's been about journalism first you know, when you have editorial systems, and this has always been the, the case in the past, you've usually had to get a workflow and bend it around a proprietary system. Well, you can't afford to do that anymore. So when we, we, we made the commitment very early on that with a new system, it was always about journalism and technology. Well, forget about it. I want it in the background. I want journalists to be able to concentrate on the best possible words to write the best possible headlines without having to worry about the code that sort of sits around it or have to plug in where, what destination the, the content goes to. I just want them focused on the content itself. We also want them to be able to uh, look at um, stories in a holistic manner. So, you know, when they're uh, when they when they've got the words there, they need to be able to see the image and the video so they can put everything into context. And so that's what this has been about. And and so when Mike says that it's enabled us to revisit the way in which uh, we run our workflows, that's what we mean by that. We've we, without the uh, without the restrictions of old proprietary systems, we can now work in a way that makes sense as a journalist. And that's the most exciting thing about this. So normally putting in a CMS doesn't really mean all that much to anyone outside the business. But this one is really going to make us, uh, you know, I think uh, work a a lot smarter. Um, We're going to be able to produce smarter products as a result of this. 
um, and simply because it's journalism first, technology second, or technology in the background. You need smart tech. Ironically, you need very smart technology to make that happen, but you've just got to make it invisible, and that's what we've been able to do. Videos become such a big thing now when you look at social media um, and how it performs and the engagement it drives. How much, how much resource are you putting into producing more video? We've got, uh, we're, we're doing pretty well on video at the moment. We're moving about 300 um, news videos a week now. And uh, half of that comes from our reporters. Um, they, um, it's, not, it's not always the best video, but it's, it's video and, and it works well. They're doing it on smartphones and uh, they become quite capable, actually. It's very, very good. As personal technology improves, so does the quality of what they, you know, of what they, they produce. So that works really well. The other half comes from um, our photographers. They've got um, you know great camera gear that is, has dual capacity. But we also have video specialists who do the real you know high end stuff, and uh, that tends to work really well. It really came in its own, I think, during the election campaign. You know, we we moved. Um, 1100 news videos uh, uh, during the election campaign and the um, you know the TV networks were all over it uh, the the major digital players uh, in the country were all over that video as what well. they loved it you know so uh, yeah we got uh, you know, quite our, our, our vision got quite the play uh, during that uh, quite arduous campaign um, but it proof that um, you know that we've, we've got the capacity in that area to work really well. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for growth for AAP as a business? And then we'll talk about editorially. Well, as a business, I mean, it's like everything. It's about diversity. I mean, we've been around for you know, 81 years now. And we've been a, you know, been a really solid news. Newswire is the core of AAP. It runs in, in, in practical terms. It's, uh, it's hard, it accounts for half our business. The other half of the business comes from uh, page masters, roughly a quarter, and media net, uh, you know, roughly a quarter. Um, the the growth the, the growth opportunity comes from the diversity within those three areas. I think so. There's uh, I think there's a little bit more, um, you know, a, a little bit more growth to be had there, and in particularly in this environment where in media environment at least anyway, where there's this need to reduce costs. So AAP comes into its own then because, you know, you know, you create something once and sell it many times. So therefore your cost base comes right down. Scale gives you everything. And so we're able to, um, you know, produce and provide uh, content to, uh, to, uh, you know, to media uh, partners so much, uh, you know, so much cheaper. We can help them save money internally. So that, that works really well um, and because that's what they need. Um, and um, and, I, and I guess from an editorial perspective, it's about um, antis- uh, about working with um, you know different mediums um, to uh, you know to produce new products. You know, so next steps would be you know creating bespoke bespoke content maybe for uh, individual organisations. We've we've got the scale; we can do things exclusively for you know for some organisation organisations. Newswire. Is uh, you know it's a, it's a massive beast. We're producing about 800 stories a day, um, and that's available to you know media all over the place. Um, but you know the, on top of that, you know you can do you can do um, you know exclusive content for, uh, for people as long as there's no conflict between those two things. I think there's also um, there's growth to be had in video. Uh, I think um, and not just normal news video. It's the way in which you produce video. I think there's there's 
Um, I, I get excited by things like augmented reality video and, uh, and virtual reality video. I think that's a, a great space. And so when the personal technology evolves to a point where that type of video can be seen by audiences quite easily, then that's, uh, that, then that's a really good um, uh, opportunity to create a, a totally immersive storytelling experience. And that, that, that part excites me a lot. Um, yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's, yeah, we're growing all the time, evolving all the time. Our, our analytics show that um, uh, our subscribers love our sports coverage mm-hmm. uh, and also our courts coverage. And part of what we've done, I think, is, um, is bulk up in those areas. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're looking to provide way more court coverage across Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, those, those big uh, seaboard markets. And sports coverage is a national, um, a national thing. And we've got a whole bunch of new women's competitions starting, you know, the AFL uh, women's comp will start next year, and um, the women's big bash league last summer proved to be a big success. So we're looking at um, how we can uh, expand our coverage in those areas. But more than just, I think, text coverage, it's also the packaging of the content and mm. looking to put, make sure when we deliver content, we're delivering, um, you know, uh, more depth of content. So explainers um, and fact boxes and images and video uh, and, and graphics uh, go with the content and, and packaging that content up for delivery. Yeah, it's the, it, the definition, definition of a story has changed. In the old days, it used to be quite, you know, single-dimensional things. It was, you know, it was words only. Then you added images and then you added video and then it's like, well, can we add more context to the, to the story and how often can we update, how, how frequently can we update those stories? So before you know it, you keep on adding layers upon layers of news to each, of those, to each story, then it, um, then it becomes quite a compelling package that, that doesn't just exist for, you know, just, you know, you put it up once and that's it. It has a life over a 24-hour period and it can look different over that 24 hours. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a constantly moving thing. A story is a constantly moving thing and that's, that's the part that really excites, excites me and I think it excites me and I think it excites the newsroom as well. So now we're nearing the end, but I have to go back to the Olympics and ask you guys personal preferences. Which sports will you guys be watching the most and which ones will you be looking out for? Oh, well, for me, as a former track and field rider, I'll be watching the, the track and field. Um, athletics is always exciting. Australia will do well in the swimming, so um, I'll be keen to see what happens there. Um, but away from that, uh, I think there are some really exciting new, uh, sports. Uh, BMX in the cycling, I think, is terrific. Um, it's uh, over in the blink of an eye. Australia's got gold medal chances in the men's and the women's, um, and, and I think it's a pretty exciting sport for the next generation coming through. Tony, what about you? I love the spectacle of the Olympics. I'll be uh, I'll be uh, diving into just about everything. Um, like Mike, you know, uh, and probably like the rest of the world, you you, you become glued to the track and field events. Um, pole vaulting just uh, fascinates me as a sport. It just doesn't make any sense. So I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, uh, I I absolutely uh, I, I love the swimming events as well. Uh, Australia is always so competitive, and uh, it's hard not to get swept on yeah, swept up into the patri- patriotism of all of that. Um, but I'll be um, um, I, I might not be watching so much of the. Um, the golf, I don't think, but uh, I'll um, because I get to see enough of that as it is um, in, <laughs> in other events. Yeah, but I will be uh, very very keen on the sailing. I think as well. I think that's a, that's always a good um, it's always a good good spectacle. Mike, Tony, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was lovely talking to you. Thanks very much, Chris. Thank you. Good luck to Media Week. <laughs>
You are listening to Media Week podcast. Do check us out online at mediaweek.com.au and follow us on social, which is at Media Week AUS on Facebook and Twitter.